All right, well, for this first one, uh, what I want to do is just summarize those first three chapters. Hopefully you got a chance to read those first three chapters. Um, I want to summarize that, pull some general thoughts out of that, and then we'll break down and have some discussions about that. So the first three chapters are about what the author calls formative instruction. Um, And I would suggest that when you hear child training, you should think what he's talking about here, formative instruction. He'll go on to say that often when we hear child training, we think dealing with problem behaviors. But these, th- these first three chapters are at pains to say that, no, what we're about is something much bigger than merely dealing with behavioral problems. Um, it's what the Greeks called paideia. And by it, they meant formation of the whole person, everything about the person, the intellect, the emotions, um, everything, the body. So it's, it's formation of the whole person um, according to God's plan. And when you think about it in those terms, you realize that it's not dealing with this behavioral problem and then dealing with that behavioral problem. It's the long-term project of forming a particular kind of person. Um, the shorthand for the kind of person we're trying to form is someone who will love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Um, and someone who will love their neighbor as themselves. The other way I like to think about it, and I think I share this all the time, is thinking about what if my child was a Daniel and was taken to another, to another country, to another kingdom, how can I treat the 18 years that I have them such that they would live and be like Daniel if that happened? Um, so it's about forming the whole person and realizing that almost everything we do forms them. Um, and that we're called to form them uh, in cooperation with God in a particular way. Um, And it's important also to note that everybody, all of us, get formed. Um, The way I grew up, and probably a lot of y'all in here, how many people went to public school? Public school in our lifetime has changed dramatically, as as we know. And it's gone from, you know, there was prayer in schools and all kinds of things like that to public schools have become an entirely different thing. But keep in mind that we will be formed by all kinds of forces around us, whether it's ideological forces that want to shape us in a particular way, market forces that want to, uh, to spend millions of dollars to figure out how to get us to pay more and more attention to what they have to sell us, political agendas of all stripes. Everybody's out there trying to form people. Uh, and so we, we have to be about a counter formation. We have to be working against forces that are out there. So, again, if we are forming the whole person, it takes intention, planning, patience, vision, and most importantly, the grace of God. Unfortunately, that is what God is very disposed to give us his grace for, is forming our kids um, in his image. Um, and the Bible, of course, is our curriculum. Uh, I think the Bible is our, our, source, our source text for all this. Um, and again, God is not interested in making rule followers. And this is where I think we have to get our understanding of what God is about with us. He's not about making rule followers. He is about making a certain kind of person. He is about producing a certain kind of tree that produces a certain kind of fruit. And we get in our own lives with God and in our child training, focused on the fruit. And I think God wants us to constantly get back to focusing on the roots. How do you, what are the roots of who we become? 
Um, the Bible, even the Old Testament, is not just rules. It's not behavior modification. It is especially not self-help. Um, so uh, form, formative instruction, as the author says, and I like this phrase, is formation or instruction before the problem. Did you all notice that phrase that he used? It's, it's instruction before the problem manifests. It's anticipating where things might go with our kids and formation ahead of time for all of that. And I do, just don't, don't worry, I do want to spend some time tonight talking about one particular very practical sort of training issue. But again, we will always start with this big picture. I think one of the most important things that, that the authors uh, stress is the idea of confusing formative instruction with corrective discipline. All right, and how many people notice that? He, he stresses that it is, a, it is a real big problem when we confuse corrective discipline, dealing with a disobedience or rebellion of some kind, and formative instruction. And I would say it's the difference between a point in geometry and a plane, or a cube, right? Formative instruction is this huge thing. It's this vast thing. It's the, it's the, it's the immersive formation we want to give our kids. And corrective discipline is just one aspect of it. It's important, but if we confuse those two things, if I think child training is corrective discipline, then there's all kinds of ways in which I'm called to be a part of forming my child that I'm not participating in. Um, Corrective discipline is about dealing, again, with rebellion or disobedience or, or a, a small item. So, again, let me go back to the Ten Commandments because I, I think what we, what we talked about with the Ten Commandments is, is important. The Ten Commandments are negative boundaries, right? They are don't cross this boundary. But every single one of the commandments implies a positive fulfillment, right? The negative boundary is like the, this is you just you can't go past this point. But all of them imply, don't murder, they imply, I'm called to love. Not only am I not called to murder, but how am I called to serve? How am I called to bless? How am I called to lay down my life for my neighbor? How am I called to consider his property, his concerns, his needs? So corrective discipline might be what we do when there's a transgression of that negative boundary. But, it, but, but this formative instruction is about the whole life fulfillment of the commandments, right? And again, I think if you can, if you can think in terms of the, the commandments, that negative transgression versus the positive fulfillment, we will be all of our lives f- walking in newer fulfillments of the Ten Commandments with the help of the Spirit. All right? That is an ongoing thing that we walk in. Um, so again, it's about the, it's about the big picture. Um, and if the only time we instruct, teach, positively shape how they view life, if the only time we teach is those times of discipline, then they'll, they won't want to listen to the, to the, discipl- or to the instruction. Right? The instruction will be associated with the pain of discipline. And uh, honestly, I think I see that a lot in church life, where it's reaction to behavioral problems and discipline, and that's the only time instruction takes place. That's the only time um, the, the formation that, that you want to bring get, comes up or teaching about the principles behind behavior come up, then it's a recipe for disaster in kids' hearts. And then, again, I found this just chilling. He said, if you just correct, if that's all you do, kids will likely be confused and rebellious, right? 
if all you do is correct without any thought to the, the formative instruction that we're called to. Um, and again, I would just refer back to the, the Shema that we talked about, the Deuteronomy 6 and uh, 1 through 5, 7 and following, right? That it gives a picture of all of life is teaching, all of life is formation, coming, going, rising, uh, going to bed, that at every point in the day and at every point in life we're called to be instructing. Um, so, and this is where it gets really challenging because what we're teaching we have to model. It's not like knowledge of math uh, or some other subject where we can get something out of a book. It's something that we have to be modeling. We constantly have to ask ourselves, am I modeling the kind of life I hope my son, my daughter will live when they're my age? Am I, am I giving them a positive example of that kind of life? Um, so we teach the love of scripture by loving it ourselves. Um, and this is a discussion question I'm going to give for later. Do you love scripture? And would your kids say you love scripture? And how would they know? What would, be, what would be the thing that would tell them that we love Scripture? Um, I will say this. I don't know if we have any uh, youth dads in here. But uh, just to throw out an encouragement here, the youth are memorizing the Ten Commandments, and we're going one commandment a week and studying through those together. I think the parents of the youth, I think it would be a great idea to memorize the Ten Commandments with them. It would be a great exercise in demonstrating uh, your desire to love God's Word as well. <laughs> Um, so just for a minute, consider how God formed Israel, all right? And I just, wrote, I just wrote down some things, okay? Think about the ways in which God was trying to form his people. He gave them a calendar. There were three festivals that were a week long in which every adult Israelite was to travel to Jerusalem and have a week-long celebration that was a combination of worship, family reunion, um, parties, party and celebration, and each one of those festivals, you think about our holidays, I don't, have any, I don't have a problem with Valentine's Day, but our holidays typically aren't a part of the grand story of who we are because of what God has done. Every festival in Israel's calendar was about some chapter in what God had done for them. They were constantly immersed in a calendar that retold the story of who God was and who they were. That's one of the ways they were formed. Now, I mentioned three big ones, but there were smaller ones. Um, they had that saturation in the word that they were called to. Um, I just point out, this is a, a commandment that I had, I had not noticed, but I noticed it recently. Did you notice that the king, in the commandments and stipulations for the king, when a king comes, he has to write out a personal copy of the Old Testament, or of the, the five books of Moses, so that he can personally be in the study of that. And I think that is meant to model what all of Israel was to be in terms of immersion in God's word. They would read it, recite it, chant it, memorize it. Think about the temple system. Think about the smells and the sounds and all of the, what I, the multimedia experience of how that formation in worship in the temple would have shaped their understandings. Uh, the teaching ministry of the priests that was kind of like a combination between butcher and doctor and preacher, right? They're examining skin diseases. They're examining houses. They're examining blemishes in animals. 
They're examining problems with clothes. They're, they're involved in all kinds of aspects of life. And then, of course, just tight communities. All right? So that's, that's all to say those were all things that God built into Israel's life to shape them, to lay groundwork for this formation that he wanted to give them. Um, and I think that should inspire us and get us to think about how we're involved in shaping our kids, which, by the way, just as a side, as, as a side note, I think one reason for following the church calendar, for just paying attention to the annual round of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Easter, Pentecost, mm-hmm. Ascension, is because it's just an annual retelling of what God has done in his, in his son Christ. All of the festivals of the Old Testament are fulfilled in those festivals. And it's this annual, it's a tool for formation. It's not a rule, but it's a tool for formation that God gave. In the Old Testament, God gave Israel. I think it's a tool that's useful for us as well. Um, Again, our kids are shaped by our example. Uh, They are shaped by what we do with difficulty. And it's good for them to see us deal with difficulty. Um, to see us deal with frustrating situations, with stressful situations, uh, with uh, all kinds of stresses. Um, we lead by what we love. And I think that's most important. You know, if there's parenting in fear, you know, you, you lead your kids out of fear of what they'll do, what wrong they'll do, of what wrong they'll become, or how they'll turn from God, versus leading out of a love of God and hope in God's promises. Um, that gives an entirely different tenor to the way we form our kids. Um, is our parenting about fitting in um, in a tight community? That can be a temptation. Um, is it about um, just some of our own selfish impulses? Or is it a key place where we're learning to know God? Where we're learning to experience God as our own father um, and to cooperate with him uh, as he... And by the way, being a parent is a remarkable thing because I think it's a unique window in, it's a unique window into knowing God, right? It's a unique window into having a sense of what it is like for God to be parent and to share something of that with him. Um, So again, I I think that I want to bring it down here in the end to knowing God as parents, uh, knowing God in our parenting. Um, We're his children through Jesus He is constantly forming us using everything, it says in Romans 8, right? Using everything for our good. And that's a great example of what we're called to do with our kids, using everything, using a good day, using a bad day, using school, using conflicts between siblings. Um, He's forming us. How are we receiving that? How are we cooperating with the ways in which he's forming us? And how are we co-laboring with him for our children? And again, It is his project. Just like building the church is not our project, that is something he's doing, that he blesses, that he wants to be a part of. Um, Forming our children is his work, and we're learning to cooperate with him um, as he does that. Um, How do our extracurriculars relate to the formation of our children? Do they work against or work for what we're doing? How do they work into shaping our kids to love God and love others? Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but family worship, I think, is a really key tool in instructive formation. And by that, by that I mean just regular times that your family gathers around the Word, prays, um, discusses the Word together, talks about your lives together. 
Um, if you don't have family worship of some kind, you should compare notes with other people and see how they do it because I think it's, a, it's an incredibly important tool for um, shaping your kids. To get back to what I said at the very beginning, if we're not self-consciously doing things, planning, thinking about, praying about, forming our kids, forming their worldview, it will be formed for them. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll send this out. There's a, how many people have heard of moralistic therapeutic deism? To make a, a short story of a long story, some Christian sociologists decided to interview thousands of kids. They interviewed like 3,000 kids from all kinds of backgrounds, Jewish, Hindu, Christian, whatever. And they realized at the end of the day, I mean, it's like two-hour interviews with these kids, that what they believed was not Hinduism or Christianity or Judaism, but some sort of easygoing American version of a materialistic God who's there to help you feel good about yourself. And it didn't matter what their, their formations, what their backgrounds were. That was the religion that had seeped into them from just growing up as Americans and imbibing most of what we imbibe. Um, there's an inertia that we're working against. Um, they didn't talk about things like sin. They didn't talk about things like repentance. Um, that was not vocabulary that most of these kids uh, talked about. Um, so again, I, I, the question is, how do I form my kids such that my grandkids 50 years from now are somehow still carrying on this thing that we're trying to, to shape our kids in and do with our kids? Um, what is your plan for the formative instruction of your kids? Um, so I have some questions, and I thought it would be good to break down into small groups for like five minutes, throw, throw these questions around with one another, and then I'll, I'll draw it back in. But before I do that, any just general questions or comments from those first three chapters of the book? Generally speaking, when we think about uh, parenting and discipleship, do you see a difference no, I think discipleship would be another great word for uh, formative instruction, right? Jesus says, baptize them, go baptize them, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. We all know for ourselves, that's a lifelong task. So if it's a lifelong task for us, it's a lifelong task for our kids. But I would say that is, a, a formative instruction is another word for discipleship. Yep. I think... I think formative instruction is just underlining the deliberate nature of it. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? Question? Comment? Sorry, in case we missed it, then one more question. Sometimes when we talk about formative instruction versus corrective discipline, is there, and this is open to anyone, particularly you older kids, is there ever a time when corrective, corrective discipline did you see it successfully include formative instruction? I know you're not hearing on that, but like is there... Sorry, I don't know if I understand the question. So, corrective discipline should not be your primary formative instruction, or formative, uh, yeah, formative instruction, yeah. right? Because it, it says on page 34, it creates a real too narrow focus. Right. Because when you try to apply the formative instruction in the midst of corrective discipline, you only go on things that probably attach to that, that disciplinary moment. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. I, oh, that there's less well, no, corrective discipline necessary? 
Oh. Sure. I mean, I think Audrey wants to say something, but I, I think I think what I was going to say is that if you're doing formative instruction in moments of discipline, you can appeal to things we've talked about, right? Oh, well, we talked about that God has called us to love one another, and you hit your brother in the nose and he's bleeding. That's not, you know, whatever. Uh, so, I, yes, if, if that's the answer to your question. Is that, did you want to say something, Audrey? And that wasn't in the moment. That was beforehand. Or you're saying no? That was. Oh right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't just discipline and teaching separated. No, there, there, are, they, are, those are teaching moments for sure. But I would say even with that, we would. So we had a goal of if we had to spank our kids, that it was not a horrendous affair. That they took it with you know relative control. And even with that, we had to teach outside of the moment, right? We had to say, okay, now, you know, when you get, when you get disciplined, remember, you, you, can't, you can't freak out. Um, so, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to that at the end. I think that if you look at how patient God is, he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. If you look at how patient he is with Israel, he leans on teaching, right? Um, it's not that he doesn't ever bring chastisement, but he, uh, but he leans on the teaching. And I think another way of putting it is we don't empower our kids with the grace to obey when we don't instruct. And if we just rely on um, that can bring real frustration to a kid's heart.